Acknowledging the, uh, we will have various maps, I imagine, of path and practice and systems that we like to use, feel comfortable with. And it always comes down to this, the mind, doesn't it? The grasping mind we come down to. Mm. <coughs> Whichever way you practice, so <coughs> What it, what it comes down to, and it, the what I've kind of recognised is this, is this is what it comes down to. Maybe this is the bit to to really uh, focus on, and and not to not to make a problem out of it, <laughs> out of grasping, out of the grasping mind. So you begin to kind of witness it and feel it and and uh, know how it feels, how it's the shape of it, the the energies it possesses, and so forth. Yeah. Not necessarily what it grasps onto, although that's <coughs> going to be the place where you tend to witness it most: the grasping onto feelings or <coughs> imaginings. Wishes, desires to be, to not be, perceptions, truth, liberation, freedom, emptiness, <coughs> oneness, knowingness, whatever the flavor of the month is, you know, the way that uh, we kind of find ourselves forming around these and then really wanting to have them, be them, realize them, discover them. And there's a frustrating bit that you don't quite get it. Ultimate truth is just the other side of this particular no- annoying, nagging bit of me that's getting in the way of me and ultimate freedom, bliss, and out there, peaceful, realized, no longer having to struggle with this stuff anymore. Mm. So, but this is really what. <coughs> You know, we come to, maybe this is the way it's supposed to be, to experience things like this. This is what happens to people. So if we're actually being absolutely honest, then you can notice this is kind of what it it comes to in its various forms. And I'd recommend being, rather than searching for ultimate truth, just being absolutely honest. Because in the... Buddha Dhamma, there isn't an ultimate truth. <clears throat> it's not a, not a term that's used. The term is such a mean, being truthful, being real, being realistic, realizing. And <clears throat> so what kind of happens is that we look at these words and we make some kind of essence out of them. <clears throat> and the ultimate truth is not expression. You have this paramatta, satya concept, which is really not even the Buddha's language. <coughs> it's, a, it's a kind of Abhidharma language, meaning that there are certain phrases that are more, um, more clear than just conventional language. You know, so it really refers to a particular mode of language, being you know, a certain clarity or precision of language, talking about aggregates rather than people, for example. You know, so so you, can def- you can define things more 
on a paramatta level rather than samuti level, conventional level, rather than being a, a clansman or a tribesman or a warrior or a grandmother or something. So these are the five khandas and so forth. So there's between samuti and paramatta, but that's really only dealing with language. You don't actually have some kind of ultimate truth or state. Because you begin to, to recognize, as you contemplate grasping, you know, what, what, what grasping only occurs because of some state imagined or felt. So even the imagined states are a kind of state, aren't they? They're an indefinable state. You can grasp onto sights and sounds, there can be that. You grasp onto moods and feelings as that. The really, really nasty stuff is the stuff you can't even see. So the stuff you can see, you can grasp, like sights and sounds. Oh yeah, well, so what? Yeah, I want enough of that. Yeah, that was nice, but so. But you get something like ultimate truth. You go, wow, because you never get it. You think it must be good, because <laughs> you. It's like the donut you don't eat is always the best one, isn't it? You know, out there somewhere is the ultimate donut. So this wasn't it, that wasn't it, but there's a really, the one you see in the, uh, the advertisements, the kind of glistening, creamy, stuffed full of whatever it is, beautifully, beautifully brown with chocolate on it. Well, wow, to eat that, fantastic, that would be it. And you're eating just another donut. <laughs> When it's out there in virtual reality, you can you can still carry all this kind of, you know, wonderful meaning. There's this craving for this kind of ultimate, ultimate meaning of some sort or another, ultimate experience of some sort. So when you don't get it, it must be, you know, so because you can't actually get a hold of it, then you can still, in something you still kind of dreams it. Maybe you don't think it, but you still, something you still wishes one day. The veils will be drawn, the clouds will break. And I'll be right there. <laughs> you know, which is a kind of profound enough intuition. But the point is that as long as one is kind of caught in that paradigm, we tend to look over the top of this irritating bit that's getting in the way. And really the, the Buddha's presentation is not a what kind of teaching. It doesn't say what it is. It just tells you how. So it's how to handle this, how to handle that, how to be with this, how to focus on that. And eventually it's how to... How does grasping work? With what, dependent upon what is grasping? Mm. How does it work? What does it feel like? Really get to know it. So we can kind of, you know, condemn sights and sounds and tastes and touches and thoughts and say they're all to blame. But it's not, that's, that's, uh, Passing the buck, isn't it? (laughs) 
So as we meditate, you know, several things are developed through that, and uh, we can say this kind of tremendous intention, <coughs> you know, which is you really going beyond just the kind of this isn't just a sort of a flash in the pan little flutter or romance we're having here. This is a real deep commitment. So there's a tremendous intentionality around that, tremendous kind of resolve, re- resolution. And what one notices happens with people, you know, in this, pr- in this process is several things you don't really necessarily acknowledge in yourself. That real person qualities, tremendous resilience, You know, you see all human beings just to get born, you've got to be, you've got to have some push to get out there. You know, it's a kind of basic resilience, basic strength. And in uh, human life, that's what keeps going, doesn't it? And in meditation, that kind of resilience, the meditative Dhamma practices, it's kind of, it really builds up and it becomes exceptionally purified because you never really, it's not a resilience that can actually, is based upon getting anything. Basic strength, you just hold support, so that, you know, we go through the ups and the downs, and the lovely bits and the ghastly bits, so that you just kind of hold and support, you go down for eight, knocked on the floor, trying to straggle back up again, have another go, wham, down again, back up again. It's kind of unsinkable, unsinkable resilience there. You know, it looks like it sinks at times. But something that kind of just keeps going, doesn't it? So even if we, you know, we can't get away from that, actually. So even if you kind of give up practice and all, you know, I can't do this at all, something still keeps going. Something still keeps being aware, feeling, sensing, determining, monitoring, you know, shifting, adjusting. Your mind's kind of complaining, feeling failure, can't make this, not doing it very well, oh, my complete waste of time, we're never getting anywhere. But meanwhile, (laughs) underneath this kind of stuff, (laughs) so it just keeps going on. Try to re- you tune into that. You come out of the story of your life, which has probably been a kind of se- sort of you know reasonable series of accidents and minor failures, with a little kind of you know happiness is here and there thrown into it. There's a feeling you haven't quite got it yet. But meanwhile. You know, goes on, doesn't it? <clears throat> so you want to come out of that storyline and getting mesmerised by that into the basic strength, which is call it basic presence, basic strength. This is a kind of something you most clearly feel, witness by sensing your life force, your body energy. Although it's just taken into, you know, it's not a, a matter of, of tissues and meat and bones. It's also something your your mind tunes into and picks up that kind of resilience from that, draws upon that. 
We also have a sense of uh, um, noticing people a kind of heartfulness, their willingness, their kindness, their um, patience. There, there's a sense of real heartfulness. It's not just a matter of love as a as a sweet thing, but a kind of um, willing to be present with, you know, and feel with. Uh, something in it does that. And so people do develop enormous abilities to be patient, compassionate, tolerant, um, you know, things of this nature. This is the heart quality. And there's a clarity there. Most of us can recognize, no, this is, this is, no, I'm going off here. This is, you know, you keep waking up, trying to get a good dream going, and every now and then you kind of wake up, oh no, that's not it another one, another mood, another, you know, so there's a kind of basic clarity there. And it's really, in practice, it's just almost, you've got to recognize these things. And uh, that's where you, you rest in that. You, that's your resource ba- ba- base, your resource bank, you rest your, in that, you have faith in that, you have confidence in that, you really give give yourself to that you give yourself to your your personhood it's important to so just to recognize you know this all this not self and so forth still is to be realized each one in themselves not self is to be realized personally you know so it's just a language issue isn't it one level the four kinds of noble persons, the eight, kind, the eight pair, the four pairs, the eight kinds of noble persons. There's some kind of personhood you know, that accomplishes, realizes, receives fruits, continues to function, enriched, endowed, clarified, purified. And you, when you kind of recognize that uh, most human beings are not really fully in their personhood then their selfhood and selfhood is always caught in some kind of image or another some imagining or another it's imagining what I should be if only what I could be if I wasn't what I would be one day what people think I should be what somebody wants me to be Hmm. even if the words have dropped away there's still that kind of almost like a strange narcissism it's kind of, am I all right? Am I doing the right thing? It's crazy. Every now and then it, it, it becomes clear, doesn't it? You, can, you get a moment of worry. Or, oh, have I done the right thing? Am I, am I okay now? Am I doing all right? Who's going to tell you? You know, it's, um, where am I? That kind of lost, fluttering sense. Am I ever going to make it? How will I know that I'm going to make it? We want to have some kind of image or impression that says, you know, fine, you're looking good, you're all right, you've got this sign and that sign, therefore, there you are, you know. So this is the image, looking for some kind of image. It's not even a conscious decision, it's just that it's just the, the way the, the mind has been bent, turned, 
So the intentionality of the mind is always towards that kind of self-regarding. Yeah. But you can kind of see the frustrations of that because then the, this, the strength, the resilience gets bent into a kind of frustration. <laughs> you, really feel, you can feel the strength of frustration and, and that kind of bottled up sense of I can't, you know. That's, that's actually, it's really good, isn't it, to feel the strength of that. But because it's bent into trying to find or be or have or not be or stop being like this, it's got this kind of, t- you know, tightness to it. It's bent, it's twisted up. The heart sense, mm. when, it, when we're regarding, when it's into this self-regard, it always goes into this kind of uh, um, moping, lamenting, sulking, and these t- or tyrant forms. You're not pleasing me enough today. You're not, you're not looking happy enough today. You're not pleasing me enough, says the tyrant. You know, so this is a kind of like, we want to have something to love. We want it to be ourselves. <laughs> so it's bent, isn't it? It's looking for some kind of sense of, oh, you know, I'm really pleased and proud of you for being like this. Well, you know, you have those times when you maybe feel you've succeeded and so forth and so forth. You're looking at it and think, well, actually, that's a bit conceited. (laughs) (laughs) See, when you win, you lose. (laughs) So, you know, so you have a, a pleasant time or a good time and you're feeling quite pleased or happy with yourself, and then some of this kind of tyrant goes in. Well, you're pretty smug and conceited, aren't you? You think you're so good. You know, caught in that. So the tyrant is just kind of twisted up love. (laughs) Because it's trying to to be pleased with, with with this image. And it really wants, doesn't it, you know, the basic clarity is always we're being kind of quite clear in some respect. We could say we can actually analyze ourselves as this and that, depending on what is it, you know, zodiac signs, Enneagram, predicaments, character types, nationality types, gender issues, gender types. So forth, endlessly, parents, or well, they get another <laughs> dragged into the tribunal. Storm <laughs> like this. School upbringing. So, you, all these kind of things that help you to go, ah, now I've got it. You know, this is why, because of these and that, and this happened when I was nine, and so forth. I was born like this. Boom. You're really clear on that. So, these are kind of habits that. that go on, or kind of Buddhist analysis, well, I'm probably a dosa type, or I was because of previous birth, I was this, that, and the other, karma, so different ways in which we get, get kind of these crosshairs, 
the sights, the telescopic sights come in and they point at, you know. So I guess this is the twisting up of clarity into always self-analysis of some kind or another. And you notice particularly when, you know, when you, you feel the most kind of lost or disconnected or flustered or you're not really, then these, one of these forms comes in. Probably self-analysis is the easiest one, you know, then the, or the blaming, some kind of blaming or wounding goes on, you know, or some kind of oh, frustrated, oh, disappointed, you know, cr- something that crinkles up. So this is dukkha. So this kind of bending, you know, this kind of, so that it's important to, to this is grasping does that. And it's grasping self-image is one of the kind of, you know, basic fetters to that so that real person no longer does that. Doesn't refer to that, doesn't keep picking at that. And keep painting themselves in a, in a mirror. It's good or bad or whatever. At the same time, this uh, this is this is an important place, a place of of selfhood, you know, where personhood becomes selfhood. This is what one way of, of we talk about contemplating citta. So citta can be expressed in a range of ways. What is this? The mind. So it's called the mind. A particular meaning comes in with that particular mm-hmm. mind. Oh yeah. Nice little four-letter word, mind. You know, come some vague sense of, yeah, I know what that what does that mean? <laughs> well it's an internalization. We could say it's it's immaterial. Uh, it's suffused with meanings, impressions. It it organises. It uh, impulses arise. You know, this is the kind of territory mind. We could also recognise mind. Uh, another way, chitta is sometimes translated as, as intent. Um, which means the kind of bent of the mind. So you might say a mind that's uh, um, bent in terms of aversion or bent in terms of um, loving kindness. So it's a kind of, it's the intentionality. Is that could we say the kind of organizing principle in any particular quality, the central principle of it is the, the chitana, the, the, the chitta. It can be seen sometimes it's also called as awareness, another way of talking about mind, sense of knowing, uh, immaterial experiences. In this way, it's the core you know, of consciousness. A consciousness is something that's always bringing sights and sounds and making them internal, making the mind consciousness makes them, the sense consciousness makes these internal, the mind consciousness 
is that which fabricates, concocts, digests the. So it's it's the centre of mind consciousness. It's the sub, but it's also the subjectivity, the me bit. So chitta is also the place of our apparent self-image, and where that kind of hovers, the subjective tint, the specific flavour of meanness at any particular moment. And that flavour, which is a kind of really an event flavouring, is something that becomes an entity. So our practice is very much one of contemplating this flavouring as it changes and um, moves around, favoured and disliked. It's in the process of that that what is built up with no deliberate intent to do so is these what I call personhood qualities, kind of resilience, strength, presence, uh, heartfulness, sense of immediacy, resonance, feeling it out, and clarity. That happens by itself, just by, by being with this following, not uh, adopting, but actually contemplating this, this stuff. So there is an effort there to stay with it, and yet the real, you say, transformative results don't occur. They're not caused by that effort. They occur because of the nature of the practice. They arise naturally. It's called dhammata, is the expression. Dhammata is in accordance with nature or the nature of things. This phrase, dhammata, so as I was re- reading in the sutta from the sutta the other day, or re- recollecting from the sutta, it's in accordance with nature. It is the way things are that one who is, keeps the precepts and ethical norms, it naturally occurs, their mind is free from remorse. Mm. For one who is free from remorse, it naturally occurs that there is gladness. Of course, you've got to be with that which is free from remorse. The problem is with the whole self-image thing is we don't follow in accordance with nature, with Dhamma, we follow in accordance with self. So even though you are living virtuously, you don't look at it, you look at something else. You know, we look at this, this kind of image thing, that even knowing we're doing it. And it's no longer, resi- you're no longer residing actually in the Dhammata, the as-it-isness of the, of the citta, the purity of the citta. It's pure in that extent. One is not residing it. One's kind of the inclinations go somewhere else. The intentionality goes somewhere else. So there isn't the gladness. Or there's a, there's a gladness and there isn't a d- dwelling in that and letting that express, not being with that, not being present with that. So the mind doesn't go into a sense of rapture and ease and so forth. 
So, yeah, there's an effort. The effort is to, is to stay with the dhammata rather than the, this kind of quest for selfhood, for self-image, which is somewhere beyond, you know. And it's, so that, that, and that, that quest for selfhood is, is not... You know, it's not anything we're deliberately doing. It's a kind of bent of the mind. So you've actually got to kind of get the mind to straighten up into, you know, be with this now, be with this now. So this is very much our effort and our training to, to come in touch with the, the flow of Dhamma. So it's why, you know, this stream entry, someone who actually is in touch with dhammata. They're flowing in that stream rather than in the kind of jumpings and leapings of chasing the unicorn, which you never quite get, and yet remains always fantastic and uh, sublime and so on. Dhammatar also is a word that can be used to express character. So the stream enterer is someone who has this character, or it's the way they've translated it. You know, it says the strength is his character. It's his dhammatar. It's his, his, the way it is, the way he or she is. And actually, this this quality. Is dhammatanus, is present, it's always there, you know, for human beings. We probably see in each other because it's both beyond an image, and yet it's the kind of, it's the particular, you know, you can feel it in the particular flavoring of each, each person, often when they're not really thinking about themselves. When they're unself-conscious, they're just being what they are. There's this kind of, oh, that's... You feel the strength, or you feel the clarity, you feel the, the heartfulness of that person. That's their dhamma. They probably don't even realise it. Think, Me? Well, I wasn't even you know, doing anything deliberate or conscious. You're just letting, letting it happen. Because at that time one wasn't regarding oneself and wasn't kind of worrying about oneself. There was a kind of naturalness to it. And uh, you know, that is, to my mind, that's the kind of, you know, one of the, one of the delightful uh, guidelines I notice in other people. Oh, yeah. It's just that. And it's not something you're ever going to kind of, you can't stage manage it. You can't say, could you do that again, please? Because once you do that, then it becomes an, another uh, um, bit of theatre, doesn't it? So when we, um, just to kind of, to sense that, there's a certain kind of quietening of intent because you can't deliberately be be that. <laughs> in the sense of a, of a kind of a reaching back and letting it happen, 
And it's not a particular mood, although moods may arise with that. And it's not a particular thought. Thoughts may arise with that. Silence may arise with that. It's not, it's not that phenomenon, phenomenal stuff. It's a kind of, there's a certain mm, particularity, suchness, momentariness, as-isness. So one of the things you notice in human beings is that say, uh, people want to actually express this quality as artists, writers, musicians, actually trying to kind of you get a sense of that. They're trying to put it out. Yeah. And it's not really, you know, a form or a sound, or, but there's a certain expression that needs to happen. The, the fact of expressing somehow needs to happen. And in, in doing that, there's a particular freshness that's, uh, that, you think, oh, that, that feels, feels about right. You're not um, self-conscious with it. Flows. You can recognize it. I remember this kind of. <clears throat> I used to listen to a lot of j- jazz when I was in my teens and twenties, and you could. I really loved that because these these people would just get out there with a saxophone, with almost no no musical score, and just blow. They might have a tune, they start off playing this tune, then they just kind of leave the tune behind, just go. And uh, you could kind of f- almost feel this moment when they, when they did that, they could be playing the tune, and often some kind of pretty simple four bar, 12 bar blues or something. And then if you're, they did that for about three or four choruses, and then realized they, they got that, and then they, then they just let go of it and blow. It's an incredible kind of moment when it shifted, and you could feel that the person's energy started to take over and then they were just going. And, uh, and what, you know, sometimes the sound was actually horrible. <laughs> you know, you listen to someone like John Coltrane and, you know, nice, no. Music, wouldn't really call it that. <laughs> sometimes, but not always. But the actual... You know, you think, well, I'm glad somebody's doing this. Because <laughs> there's a sense of a tremendous kind of person just, this was not holding his throat chakra back at all. Or his heart, he's just letting it go out there. And he couldn't, he couldn't, you know, it wasn't like, try and do it now. It was just the person had trained, they really knew how to handle an instrument. They, you know, expert. They spent hours and hours and hours of it. It wasn't just casual. Deeply committed to this particular instrument, and they knew how to do everything that could be done on this thing. And they just blow, and uh, just let it, let the mood go, you know, and without a kind of without looking back. Now, of course, you know, these are not. This is not looking. These as Aryans or role models, because it's still kind of stuck with this piece of this instrument or attached to music or whatever it is. But in some ways, you know, there's this, this kind of, you begin to kind of get analogies of how, you know, how we can be 
truthful without being perfect, without being ultimate. You know, and in the truthfulness, the suchness, you know, the dhammata, something is given up. Something, something is abandoned. Some kind of cramping is abandoned. Some pushing is abandoned. Some, some clinging is abandoned. When you, when you get a feeling for that abandoning and you trust it, it can go deeper and deeper and fuller. And that's the, when you get the flavor of that, when you get in the stream, it's why the stream entry is such a, a crucial phase in a way, stage, because it's there that you really, you do, you do know the precepts, you do know the practices, you're not abandoning them, but you know also the freedom within that, within, you've found the real stream of it, you found your dhammata within that. Mm. And it's specific and it's intimate. Uh, it doesn't mean you're going to go and do something else. It means there's a particular spiritual, sp- specific, intimate quality about what you what bring, what comes forth, what is brought in there. In so when we kind of look at it, you know, in perhaps more technical terms you have this sense of intentionality and you have a sense of, of uh, mind consciousness and this subjective tint to it qualities to it, chitta mm-hmm. intentionality is some kind of holding it, pushing it supporting it whatever, and a consciousness mind consciousness, some kind of informing, forming forming moods, forming thoughts, happening, forming impulses, forming suggestive meanings, impressions, feelings that's happening. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of subjective tint, this is who I am. But actually, that who I am is a continual how I am. It's a continual process of arisings and passings and creations and snagging and flowing and so forth and it's not really a, a who it's a it's a it's a how mm. it's the bonding of chaitana volition and sometimes sankara to to consciousness is the what is is to be um disbanded so you know, we call coming to you know, even something like the present moment here and now you know, the pachupana words pachupana means arisen dependent pach dependent upana has arisen so whatever is present is arisen What's the causality of that? What's the basic causality of it, of whatever is present in the here and now? So we focus on that sense of the present rather than the remembered or the imagined or the analyzed or the decided or the figured out, just the presentness of it. Well, lots of things we really don't know right now. 
one thing we are we can really know is what's present is dependent upon consciousness consciousness being held supported to a sense of ah you've got you've got something that's being witnessed or felt therefore there is a holding of support for consciousness yeah so and within that, because of that, consciousness then provides various forms and meanings and suggestions and so forth. And then that intentionality then, you know, focuses on those forms and meanings and creates something else. So the consciousness continually moves on and on and on, is moved on by intentionality. Isn't the, this isn't, when you say intentionality, this isn't a deliberate decision. Intention doesn't mean something you figure out in your head. It's, a, it's, this, it's much more instinctive than that. It's the kind of push that keeps generating another, another, another. Hmm? Something jumps, something moves, something meanders. Hmm? This to that. That's, so, depend, that's how the picture keeps shifting and changing because of this consciousness produces name and form that is, there's particular forms and meanings that arise, and then within that, intention picks up a particular form or a meaning, and so on, and so on, and so on. So the consciousness then is established on the next form that has arisen. Out of every name comes a form, and every meaning comes a, a possibility. So you know, we, we may some of these are very subtle, aren't they? So we can kind of have the sense of, you know, brightness. Oh, bright, feeling, feeling bright. And bright becomes a thing. So that which was just a kind of, you know, a way of being bright becomes an object. That becomes a form. Then the mind, oh, bright, what more of that? That's good. Intention takes in that, tries to make some more of it. Consciousness gets established in brightness, and so on, and so on, and so on. <coughs> So in these meditative practices that the Buddha outlines, you can sometimes see this kind of tr- track being drawn where this disciple goes to this, and they come to these very wonderful states. You know, they come through some grubby stuff, but then they come to these really nice states and goes, this, goes into this kind of jhana state, and this jhana state, and this higher state, and then sublime, and radiant, and supreme, and neither perception, non-perception. Wow, you know, it goes going out, 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 out. Um, because it's like every preceding um, realization becomes the basis for the next stage of consciousness. So consciousness comes leaping upwards. And he goes up and up. And he gets his point. And he goes, wait a minute. <laughs> and there's this lovely moment in most of these teachings where this, you think, oh, he's going right out. He's, sooner or later he's going to you know, hit the sky or go at, uh, through the ceiling of existence. And he gets this point and says, no, all this has become thrown through intention. Why don't I just give it up? And then it says, and then the heart is released. So all this has come around through intent, through this kind of intention and then supporting consciousness on another level, supporting consciousness on another level, supporting consciousness on another level. So it keeps moving up and up and up. 
and you don't get to the end of it. And there's places where, you know, the Buddha or a disciple says, you know, you can't go beyond, you can't get any more than this. This is as refined as you can possibly get. This is as far out as you can possibly get. And this isn't it either. Because there's still name, form, consciousness. So then that relinquishment of the will. There's always that. The relinquishment of the, of the will to be, the intending, when one no longer plans or intends or has a tendency towards anything, there is no longer the basis for consciousness. This is what, you know, the Sangyuta in Kairon does not incline, intend, plan, has no tendency for anything. There is no supporting basis for consciousness. Therefore it goes out. There is a going out. Like the flame turned down. We can't put that on the map. But all you can put on the map is is that abandonment. And the abandonment of intention doesn't mean, well, I give up intending this and therefore, you know, let it go into something else. So we, you know, we give up (coughs) meditation and go into some other thing that, that may make us feel better for a while. Which is always the kind of uh, uh, possibility when we can no longer uh, really <coughs> enter the frustration, really plunge into the frustration, plunge into the doubt, plunge into the, that kind of wound <coughs> and abandon But that's why I'm saying that is like uh, (coughs) that's that's the real uh, subtlety of it. And why, of course, that particular bit can't be on the map because it's on the map, it's so easy that you're going to kind of self-image, this is what I should do. How do I do abandonment? How do I how do I stop? You know, it doesn't work like that, does it? You know, I think we probably kind of get that sense of letting go, let go, let go, let go, stop, stop intending. You know, it, because that can't do it, but the personhood can. So. There's a kind of purification of personhood, which means, you know, not an, not an identity, just the sense of the, the resilience, the heartfulness, the clarity. And it's purified and purified, so there's no me, my life, my choices, my name, me doing it in it. It's just purified, that's just, uh, and it grows strangely, around this particular floor. That your self-image can't manage, can't get over, can't do anything about. So you have to you know, bear with it. It's rather like um, you do, uh, where a pearl forms, you drop a piece of <coughs> grit 
into an oyster. The oyster has no choice. <laughs> the grit doesn't decide to do anything. And yet around that piece of grit, gradually this, this lovely, lustrous pearl grows. And this is the, the true person. And that's what, uh, that's where we, we rest. That's where we abide. Being really truthful. This, is, this thought isn't going to do it. Never did do it. This thought is just another set of restless burblings and frustrated emotions. This kind of uh, wish and will and hope and it's just more emotional manipulations. Mm. This kind of sense of just push through it is just more bullying. Or stubbornness. <laughs> but there's a purification of these into kind of a simple, quiet resilience, strength, basic strength. It's not the strength of pushiness or arrogance or forcefulness, it's just a simple, well, this is where I am. Mm hmm. Yeah, maybe, but this is where I am. Mm -hmm. Fine, that's what you feel, that's good for you, this is what I feel. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm with this right now, this is where I am, nowhere else. You know, I love it when people are like that. Think, oh, there's the strength. They're not kind of saying, I'm the best, I'm the greatest. No, this is, here I am. <laughs> It's that kind of quiet strength that we sometimes lose because we feel we should be something else. And to really kind of feel, feel that, you know, the, the beauty of that, the truthfulness of that, the dignity of it. And the great heart, kind of uh, the frustrated, frustrated love, sense of really wanting to feel that joyfulness, that sharingness, that, you know, heartfulness. Yeah. Yeah, well, this is, where it, this is where it is, isn't it? So, you know, to why the Brahma Vihara practice is so important, we kind of purifying that into wherever, internal, external, lofty, gross, me, you, I'm not going to grab it and hold it, but just be empathic with that. So it's a love that's free from grasping, wanting anything in, out of it. We feel good like that, feel really, that's how I want to live. You know, something me wants to get hold and grasp and have something, but actually feels better just to keep it open, you know, coming, going, winning, losing, and just stay with that. And the clarity, which is just, just a sense of being specific, 
really being specific. That is, this kind of tension is there. That's all you need to know. The tension is there, and it's not there. So it's this kind of discernment, wisdom faculty, which is not analytical, just kind of being being clear. Once you just kind of interesting, once you kind of present those options, this is suffering, <laughs> dukkha, and you know, you kind of come to that something new, oh, you, the realization of that the recognition of dukkha, of the stress and the struggle, and the push. That quality of recognition, if it's empathic, if it's present, if it's not pushing, struggling, doubting, fighting, there it is, it's released. The wisdom can sense that. You just, but to be, you to be specific about it really investigate the specific quality so that the intention is not bound up with names. Which are all the meanings and the interpretations and the character specifications, just specific. And you can do this much, as I find an energetic thing is cleaner because I, you know, there's much less sense of me about it. It's just the tightening, the pushing, the, the tensing, the releasing. It's kind of experiencing it like that. So that just to f- come into t- to the presence of that recognition of the tightness around wanting and having and holding, not you know just that much. Something seems to ease, and one isn't trying to stop being that way. Even there's no intending. Intending intentionality goes so far, and the point is, you don't actually have to go through all these incredible high levels of consciousness. Once you get the message from a fairly, you know, accessible level of consciousness that you have already. Once you get the message, if you, if you really distill it, feel it, penetrate it, the message is here. Then, you, you know, you, this is the point. You don't actually have to go through these incredibly Olympic standards because you can get the message in this. You, energetically, you can get the message just in this. You can feel those energies happen just at this level. If you... And our practices of samadhi, just so we get more in touch with that, once you have realized that, you begin to kind of really experience your, your livingness in that sense. Then you've got something that, well, I find very useful, put it that way. <laughs>